0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seedcamp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Welcome, everyone. Today, on the theme of ICOs and tokens, and also building trust networks, we bring in Justas Pichelis, co-founder and president of Monitha, who uh, has raised $37 million as part of an ICO. Now, I don't want to ruin pitching his company for him, as we'll be hearing what, what it does and, and how it serves its audience. But what's really interesting is the speed in which uh, Juicis raised the money. And by the way, he likes being called Justice, but I'm, I'm <laughs> going to probably butcher your name throughout the podcast. And as I mentioned earlier, Justice, one of the great things about bringing guests on is you get to sort of humanize their success by listening to what they did when they first started off in life. And maybe you can do that for us. You can walk us through what you did when you graduated from school. What was the first thing? What was the first job?
1: So first of all, hi, uh, it, it is it is really um, an honor to be here uh, since I'm a fan of, of the show. I guess a lot of the entrepreneurs are, so it's kind of a, a little bit of surreal of being in the studio. However, uh, starting with, with my story, I started my professional career, quote unquote, when I was uh, 15 years old and I was um, common, you know, I did all sorts of jobs from like a lifeguard in a pooled uh, to a um, commentator of American wrestling, uh, if, uh, pro wrestling. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like WWF? Yeah. Correct. WWE uh, in uh, in Lithuania's kind of broadcast TV because I was probably the only person uh, that, that was interested in that, uh, in that sport, if you can call it, when I was 15 years old. So they just asked me, can you do it? <laughs> and you were the guy that introduced them. Yeah, I I was the guy who were who was commentating on the moves and things like that. Ah, okay. So yeah, yeah. So you weren't I the guy TV. who was yeah, like and on the left corner. No, 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 no. Like a commentator and uh, on T V. So I know all the John Cena's and stuff. Nice. <laughs> so uh, moving after uh, after that, you know, graduating from school, my parents really wanted me to be a lawyer. I guess every parent wants to uh their children to be lawyers or doctors because that's just like a (laughs) no-brainer, but they're both lawyers. That was, that was the reason. Uh, And I did go to law school almost for three years, dropped out, and said, all right, uh, I'm really interested in, in startups. Not necessarily, you know, a hardcore old school business since that's more uh, more popular in uh, Lithuania since, you know, our capitalism is only 28 years old. Uh, and a lot of uh, these business people who are, you know, uh, in the magazines and, and newspapers and um, media, they're more of a, you know, retailers and things like that. But uh, since I guess 2010, Startups really became more popular and I was really interested into that. And uh, European Union uh, started giving subsidies for uh, entrepreneurs <laughs> who had ideas and could pitch them. And uh, I went to this university called um, the School of Business and Economics in Vilnius, you know, which is the capital of Lithuania. And they did have this program, which was subsidized by European Union of uh price of $50,000 uh, scholarship. So out of somewhere around 200 applications, only eight were selected. And I was one of them uh, sort of working working and studying at the same time in this program. It's a very in- interesting and innovative program where you as a young founder, you start a company and you professors come in and kind of evaluate and, and, and help you developed that so that's very innovative it doesn't have a bachelor's degree uh, attached to it but it really brought a lot of knowledge in that regard mm-hmm. also I had an opportunity to go to Illinois Institute of uh, Technology mm-hmm. also also spend time there and this is where I met my uh, co-founder mm-hmm. uh, my uh, my co-founder Lourinas, who's uh, the CPO uh, in the company. We said, you know, that we were the first ones to come in and the last ones to go out. You know, we kind of bonded over FIFA games, Xbox, mm-hmm. really, you know, that happens in co-working spaces, started, you know, sharing our business philosophy. You got to
0: bond over video games. I mean, I didn't introduce Kieran, who's, who's here with us, and he's going to ask some questions in the future, but I bonded over Kieran <laughs> with uh, Counter-Strike, you know. That's okay. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, it's so, even, so even more geeky. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, FIFA, so that's how you met
1: yeah, that's how we met. Uh, really bonded. Then I did a, did a few startups. Uh, one that was kind of successful. Another one completely flopped. And I decided to go uh, to go work for an angel investor. I had that opportunity. Uh, spent almost a year in Asia. Came back after that. You know, really interesting experience. And so it became that both my co-founder and myself we were looking for opportunities. And we said, you know, we knew each other for uh, such a long time, and said. Let's do it. Uh, let's, let's create Manita. And in a very, very short period of time, I guess, uh, within a month, we attracted uh, our CTO. And this is, I guess, where entrepreneurs, really young entrepreneurs, fail is to attract a uh, experienced CTO. And what we sold to him when we approached him was totally just an, our sheer desire to create a startup. And he was working at a very big ad tech company called Outform. And he had 350 developers under his jurisdiction. He was the VP of engineering, and we said, "How? Why don't you quit your well-paying job and start, and you know, join a company in which you have to pay in order to work?" But out of our sheer, you know, desire and 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 curiosity, he said, "Yeah, why not?" He was sick of of working there, and and, and uh, joined the company. So uh, that's how all the, the core team, the leadership team of three co-founders came about.
0: All right. Well, before we go straight into what it does and yeah. what the vision was, remind us how many years, how many months total did you know your co-founder before you guys decided to start a business?
1: Uh, so me and Lorina as the CPO, we knew each other for more than four years before we started. Yeah. And, uh I met the CTO right before we uh, started the company. Lourdes, our CPO, he knew him for, uh, I guess, somewhere around two years. Mm. But so all in all, we kind of have, you know, uh, connections. Mm.
0: Yeah. And I've I've found that the the length of the relationship between co-founders matters a lot, especially in the early days, because otherwise it's very hard for the team to to function well during conflict. Yeah. uh, And it's great that your CTO joined you at the very beginning, because that also helps quite a bit. So... Walk us through that first conversation that created the idea behind Monita, and then, and then you know maybe it's a good time also to, to sort of say what Monita is yeah. and what it's doing, and whether or not what it's doing today is exactly what you know. It's like when you look at the
1: George Lucas exactly um, scripts of
0: Star Wars the first time was it <laughs> Star Killer was it well, yeah his name was Star Killer as opposed to Skywalker. You know, like you look at the old stuff and you don't realize you know how yeah. much different was it. How different was Monita's? First iteration as a conversation versus what it is today. That is
1: very very interesting, and 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 this is also a very interesting correlation between what you you know write down the roadmap and what you promise to do in ICO and how really a startup works when you're in early stage and you have to make a lot of pivots and how you communicate with the community. That uh, I'll I'll get to that in a bit, but uh, right now what Manitha is is a trust and reputation system. So essentially we're creating identity for buyers and sellers in marketplaces for both parties to feel safe. And we're doing that on blockchain. This is easy as that. But at the beginning, the idea looked totally differently. Um, Before you go to the beginning of what the idea looked like, just to make sure everybody
0: in the audience fully understands it. When we met, which was at, at the Collision Conference, you had given me a shortcut. And I don't want to give it away, so you tell me. But it was like, you described Monitha as something. I was like, oh, is it like Craigslist with, you know, blockchain? Is it? And you, you, you helped me out with like a shortcut. What, what, what is the latest shortcut that you're using?
1: So it was either one, or one of two. So one is how Community gave uh, the name to The Easy explanation was a hybrid between PayPal and Trustpilot on blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for us, how we call it, it's your universal passport of trust as a merchant mm-hmm. the interesting thing that really speaks to the sellers is that it's transferable through marketplaces mm-hmm. so you it's an illusion that you own your reputation for example on ebay you don't when you build your reputation you want to expand your business go to alibaba you have to build it all over again yeah uh, so here we want to create this reputational passport of yeah. commerce that you can transfer through marketplace but just just to
0: so that it's clear to the audience you can't particularly import at the moment from any other one. So it's it's a brand new trust network. Yes. There's no import tool or like people like me on eBay, here's my my, my token. We're working
1: on it. It it would be a partial kind of verification, uh, the same as, you know, the verification of your social networks is some sort of trust layer. Our KYC process where, you know, we evaluate the biometrics and, and driver's license, there's also one more layer. So that might be one of the layers that we might put, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be the core of your reputation. It has to be built all over again. And we want to, you know, it, it is the hard way, but it, it's the only way it's, that the right was, way. it's the right way. It's the right way. It's the right
0: way. All right. So then what was it when it first started? <laughs>
1: it, it was really easy. Me and Ludinas uh, and, and actually Andre too, who's the, uh, who's the CTO, we all owned cryptocurrencies. That's what really kind of was in common with us. Minus the FIFA, <laughs> uh, so uh, we own cryptocurrencies, and we sometimes we said that you know we don't want to necessarily exchange those cryptocurrencies into fiat currency, to go- government-backed currency to pay for something. We just want to pay you know straight uh, straight out of our crypto wallets, and we saw that not only in retail there is a big problem of doing that, but also in e-commerce there are not a lot of you know payment processors who process crypto payments so we decided to kind of empower this community of of crypto creating this uh, universal payment processor which would you know do not only bitcoin but also ethereum which was on the rise when we started and just to have this kind of reference we started in early days of 2017 when ether was you know quite small. When we attracted people from Braintree, when we attracted people to our team from PayPal, they said you don't want to be necessarily in payments business. You have to have some sort of vertical that would be that would be more interesting and would have something proprietary. And that was, you know, in in our eyes, this is where the genius of our CTO came in and he said, you know, payments have to go hand in hand with reputation and vice versa. Because right now it has no proof of payment. So for example, I don't know if you uh, have uh, ratings on your Facebook page uh, in Seatcamp, but let's say you did or you own you know, a bakery that I can you know, never visit that bakery, but I could rate you one star or five stars. I'm not even talking about click farms where I can order 100 ratings uh, as a competitor of one star. Because they're not, you know, verified by a, by a payment, so this is where we merge the payments and um Trust. and the reputation, yeah, yeah. The reputation. Very interesting. So you had the right team
0: that with the right experience coming up with an idea that evolved from the original one, and then you started cranking away at this idea. And did you finalize the transition to what Moneta is today prior to the ICO, or is um, it's something a, that kind of pivoted during.
1: When we're talking about this exact pivot, it was right before the ICO. We implemented this trust layer. Okay. Uh, we said that you, you know if we want to be interesting, if we want to really make make a big bang, uh, we have to incorporate this before the ICO. The people who are working in startups know this very well. Mm-hmm. All the time, you're looking for the best product market fit. Yeah. And this is this is evolving, you know. At first we thought that it's the merchants mid-tier e-shops that that would benefit from this the most, but we saw that, you know, these power sellers that are selling on marketplaces mm-hmm. not necessarily on their standalone uh, e-commerce stores they're the most interested in this, especially when we're talking about classified ad marketplaces mm-hmm. because it has been the big big wound an open wound for for classifieds where you don't know who's the person behind it and I, I don't want to go into distance of saying you know that there are multiple cases of people getting hurt on these transactions both you know financially and physically yeah physically so yeah it happens people really? meet people meet up on you know read about it you know. People meet up via Craigslist on um, buying something, and it goes as far as people get people getting killed. Jeez, that's just horrible.
2: Was the idea of having the token always fundamental to the Manetha vision, or is it through you know, conversations in the context of like the boom we experienced in 2017 that you guys thought about that, or how, how did the thinking happen there?
1: Being completely honest, it was both. At the beginning, you know, we we understood that. We had to choose whether we want to do this via VC way or via ICO, and since we said that, you know, because it's a reputational a trust and reputation, and this could have been done, you know, before us. You know, it's it's not a stellar idea. It's just the thing is that blockchain really supplements this or or really helps this uh, idea grow uh, because of two factors. One factor is the immu- immutability of the records. So we heard, you know, there are multiple cases, I don't want to name any competitors, (laughs) but there are multiple cases of reputation platforms screwing around with the ratings or, you know, even their sales tactics are like that. You know, you have 3.5 rating on X uh, uh, platform, why don't you pay a subscription and we will remove that. So that's one of the things where really blockchain comes in. Uh, Another thing is the transferability of the record. So having that in mind, we said that either way, we're doing that with the power of blockchain, However, you know, if we're doing that with this, we might as well introduce our own token and and do an ICO. Of course, that helps the kind of the unproportionate amounts of of money raised. Of course, it helps because we're not from London. We're not from Silicon Valley, and and it's not as easy to raise that capital. Of course, that helps because we're a consumer product. And right away, you have this, you know, at this moment, we have 11,000 token holders who are our evangelists. Any any conference I go to, I meet a person who holds beneath the token. So their support and the kind of the quick adoption that you can have straight away, those were the main factors why we chose ICO over VCs. And it actually wasn't as easy of a decision because with VCs, you have smart money coming in. And with ICO, you have, I don't want to say the opposite, but I want to say that it's not easy being well, optimized. A, it, yeah, it's not easy. It's <laughs> not easy of being a, a early stage company and the, a, and a public company at the yeah. same time.
2: You got public market liquidity effectively exactly. like in early stage venture, right? It's take a price on a startup. Yeah.
0: So one thing that maybe, Kieran, that you can make sure that we cover before I forget is the, the the nature of how a utility token plays out in a in a, in a circumstance where e commerce is happening. Whether mm. they can happen in fiat, then it genders generates a token or whether it's a token that has to be part of that. But before we do that, I think it would be useful for the audience to hear how you went about setting up that ICO. So not only when you decided it was the right thing to do, but also in terms of who you went about contacting and what was the total cost to you, uh, roughly, of of getting ready for the process of an ICO. Because I think people might have a misconception. It's like, Three guys get in a room, print out, you know, copy and paste some white paper and then just put it on the net.
1: Yeah. So when we decided to go with our ICO forward, it was still in such an immature, such an embryonic stage. Still, it it, it is. Uh, there are no books. There is no kind of formal knowledge of how to do an ICO. Mm-hmm. But at that time, we had you know, one contact that has done an ICO before. When we decided to, to do an ICO, we were the, uh, there was only one completed ICO in Lithuania. So we were really kind of, we had this lack of knowledge and a lot of the things were done blindly and we were just lucky in a lot of regards. Uh, another way how we, we, got, we were lucky is, uh, uh, and this might sound counterintuitive, but we didn't have a really big budget to run an ICO. We had $300,000 to do that, uh, including, you know, like a $100,000 fee for the lawyers, <laughs> which which is really important. And I will tell you why it was so expensive and why I don't regret a single dollar spent on that. So, you know, we were in the lack of that budget and we were lucky because we had to be innovative with our positioning, with our messaging, with communication, with marketing and that was, I'll give you an example. We said, all right, let's advertise, let's triple down on Facebook, just because nobody ad- advertised on Facebook. And everybody else said that it's impossible, like ICO contributors, they don't spend time on Facebook. And we said, you know, we think that they do. And even if they don't, it's not that big cost per click. Now ask any ICO, Well, now it's too late. (laughs) But ask any ICO before the ban, the prices were humongous. So we got really cheap traffic from Facebook because we were actually one of the very first ICOs that really doubled down on Facebook. So these were kind of the innovative methods that we had to, not because we wanted to, but that because we didn't have a lot of resources. The team was small, the budget was small, and, and we just you know hit the bullseye with it.
0: Nice. All right, well, now if we move on to the ICO itself, I think that there's probably worth walking through the, the map of planning an ICO. So the time it takes, I think people are familiar with VC rounds to some extent you know there's a lot there's enough content out there in ICOs there is some you know Dan Siegel has a token handbook and and a few people out there have written tomes around what it takes but maybe from your personal experience like the time it takes the people involved the costs associated with it just as a a step by step
1: it depends on the stage that you're at you know if you're a single founder with an idea oh I'm going to do an ICO just because I want to, you know, have a lot of capital for my startup. Well, good luck. <laughs> yeah. uh, that That's going to take you from at least, uh, I guess, nine months to a year. But when you, we were in the position where we knew exactly what we wanted to, do. we were in the position where we had the core team, uh, where we had uh, the budget, at least, you know, minimal budget, but we decided not to take any outside capital, keep mm-hmm. the equity only for three people, which are the founders. And we, what we said, you know, a lot of the people, a lot of people say that we were lucky. Uh, just to give a little bit of context, uh, the thirty-first of uh, August was the date that we raised our ICO, which is actually I would say the the kind of the hottest time to do an ICO. And people say, oh, you were lucky because you did it at that time. But I remember the exact place and time when I said to the team, we either do this before september or we don't do it at all because i saw that it's 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 gonna burst like people are not gonna raise as much money competition is is coming the regulation or the uncertainty and doubt uh in the market is is coming up so that was an intelligent decision to do so so we were kind of forced to do that a little bit quicker but it still took us like from the inception of the idea to the uh, manifestation of the idea around eight months our own kind of when we went public with our white paper, the website, the videos, the MVP was somewhere just short of four months, a little bit, a little bit more than three months. Uh, so that was quite quick uh, marketing campaign, I would say. And the cost, as as mentioned, you know, we were a lot of it was dedicated to marketing. A lot of it was dedicated to the development of the MVP, and a big portion, as I already mentioned. Uh, was dedicated to the legal team. And I want to elaborate on that and for anybody, anybody that wants to run an ICO to kind of tell that it's so important for you to do to do your, your best in terms of legal because that might bite you back in the ass a little bit later. Just for example, you know, we had so many kind of shortcuts, uh, possible shortcuts of going, incorporating in Cayman Islands, Gibraltar. But we said, you know, we want to run... We want to run a trust and reputation network, and we don't want to be in the same category as porn business and gambling businesses being incorporated in Gibraltar. So it would have cost us way less, but we decided to be incorporated in Switzerland. And you know, Thank God we did that. We went through the uh, all the uh, necessary KYC and AML procedures. We don't have any problem liquidating that money in uh, into into fiat from crypto, which a lot of ICOs do have that problem. So these kind of things and, and Switzerland again, you know gave us a, a tax ruling that they're not going to tax us over the ICO proceedings for the next five years uh, when we're keeping the IP in Switzerland. So these things really, really helped us. And, you know, that's why I mentioned that I don't regret paying that 100000 for for lawyers.
0: <laughs> okay, so it sounds like that and wh- how long did it take that start to finish from the moment you said we're going to do
1: an ICO to the moment that that was started? So the the, the offering... The was- crowd sale already started, right? It, to the yeah. crowd sale moment, right? Yeah. When we decided to do an ICO, not the VC way, but the ICO way, I would say six months. But from the inception I, from the inception of the company to the ICO was uh, somewhere around eight to nine months.
0: Okay. So, it's not bad. I mean, if you look at VC fundraisings, and, and it's probably changed now in 2018, but, <laughs> um, you know, typical VC... Around setting it up and then going on fundraising yeah it's about 6 to 9 six months to nine. so it's, it seems to, to map to that at least in terms of time and then in terms of jurisdiction sounds like Switzerland was the place to be because of all these particular benefits and other jurisdictions like Lithuania and other countries in Europe aren't
1: set up yet to do that well it just wasn't the you know the thing is it's it's the knowledge that's important at that time when we raised the now it's gotten way better in lithuania Mm -hmm. like lawyers know about um icos they know about crypto at that point of time nobody knew that only lawyers and 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 people who are working in switzerland most particularly that crypto value. And what illustrates Zook the best way is that you know when you go to Tutik and you take a train and 40 minute train to Zook, the first thing that you see when you get out of the train it's a Bitcoin ATM <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> So you know the lawyers educate you and not vice versa about about uh, about the market so that that's that's really cool.
0: Cool. And so before we move into some the, the utility of the token, to, the, to some of the questions we had there. Walk us through the marketing process to the crowd sale. You know, the, there's the whole now standard Telegram group that people create <laughs> to, to pump things out. You talked a little bit about Facebook strategy that you, you used, but generally speaking, how much effort is required to set up for the, the marketing such that today, the founder can plan and and what channels would you use
1: Yeah so the channels are pretty much state status quo the only thing that really kind of changed was slack ICOs don't really use slack as much as they do telegram right now just because it, it used to be a, a mess you know it's really hard to kind of control all the scams and people who are trying to fish you a wrong address uh, contributing to the ICO so i would say i would say for for marketing it, it could be done two ways. It can be a flash sale uh, or three ways. It can be a flash sale, which we did. Uh, we said that we're going to hold off the gates until, you know, we open them and it, it sold out in 18 minutes. You can do a prolonged one where you say that it's the ICO is going to go for three months, a month, two weeks, whatever, until the hard cap uh, mm-hmm. goes. Uh, so ICOs are doing that. Uh, in addition to that, the third way, the uh, third thing that, that is being done right now, because people don't necessarily have the budget to do an ICO because this, the prices have yeah, skyrocketed. They do a private sale, which it's getting more and more uh, similar to uh, VC uh, VC funding. You, you know, you, you go and make relationships with investors. So they do. <laughs> pro- structure, Yeah. And you give out equity. So people are doing that private sale, when they yeah. finish off with a private sale, sometimes they go into pre-sale, raise you know, another million to do their ICO, and then yeah. in two months they run uh, in ICOs. Those okay. are the th- three main kind of methods of doing an ICO, but when it comes to the channels, of course now ICOs have to be more selective mm-hmm. uh, since the Google ban and, and, and the Facebook ban. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I would say not a lot of in terms of like the marketing challenges. It's, it's all about just getting attention. What, how you're going to get that attention is just, you know. <laughs>
0: all right. So now it's back to the the, the games. now equal across everyone. Now, when it comes to pricing, I think one of the interesting developments is strategies on how to price as well, you know, like whether it be you set a price or you kind of sell only a certain amount of tokens at one price to see you know, what the sensitivity on the price is for a higher price. Maybe walk us through kind of how you thought through pricing.
1: First, it was easy. We wanted to f- the first kind of contributors, the, the true believers uh, and the true supporters to get a 20% discount until the soft gap. The soft mm-hmm. gap was uh, 7 million euros. And once that's popped, just no discount, everybody uh, comes in. Uh, of course, we thought that before the ICO that it's going to take longer, uh, and the kind of the soft cap was mm-hmm. gone in literally seconds. <laughs> mm-hmm. So people, some people were lucky, some people got left out. Uh, and now I'm seeing a lot of different models. Like um, it goes as far as having like ten tiers of mm-hmm. different prices, which I guess, in my opinion, it it, it does screw up the tokenomics a little bit. Mm-hmm. But but. ICOs is trying to be uh, creative because there are so many right now and you have to be somehow, you know, just um, uh, distinguished from from the pack.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard some other interesting ones that are like time delay and, and things like that that are kind of interesting in how it's done. But one of the things that I'm really interested in is... Uh, <laughs> I'll be getting a picture taken here by Justice. Which is, <laughs> is, is, is great. Um, so sorry for the interruption there, guys. With regards to that, that pricing thing, though... What I'm curious about is whether or not there is a strategy for pricing the quantum of tokens uh, vis-a-vis the total hard cap that you have and how you thought about the total tokens required for the success of the network and how you thought about the inflation rate required for the growth of the network without even knowing the scale of how big the business will be.
1: It is hard. It is hard, and a lot of the time you apply simple mathematics of understanding. All right, how many tokens is gonna to, uh, are gonna be sold? How much is gonna be sold to the community? Uh, so we sold 50% to the community. 12% was um, distributed to the the bounty campaign, and and and. Kind of the early, the early supporters. Uh, the thirteen percent is a loyalty token that we integrate with our within our system. Fifteen percent is for the equity holders, and and ten percent is for future funding. So the last three loyalty tokens for equity holders, and the future funding is locked for a year, actually thirteen months. Uh, but everything rest is, is sold or given out in bounty. So this is what we understood that was the right kind of approach for our network to kick in, for the community to be happy. But it's interesting though, because right now you're giving me an
0: answer in terms of percentages. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're still talking about whether we call shares, what we call it tokens. We're still talking about a quantum, right? I own X number of tokens. Yeah. And you multiply that percentage by the total and you get the number of the individuals. But I'm wondering how you come up with that total, and how you come up with the inflation rate for that, if at all, Yeah. so that it maps with the needs of your network. So for example, fast forward 20 years from now, but he has the way of doing things. Is there a possibility that you've miscalculated the total number of tokens such that either the, the, the transaction rate's too slow, or the decimal places are too big, or something like
1: that? Yeah. Well, we have we have a lot of um, a lot of space in that regard because we said that our token can have up to twelve uh, numbers behind zero. It was really calculated in that regard. We were, you know, when when we're talking about the total fixed supply because our token is it, it is fixed and we have released uh, four hundred and two million uh, tokens that correlated with the hard cap and the price that we have fixated on. But as as you mentioned, you don't necessarily know. What is going to be, you know, how the token is going to be uh, used? What is going to be the main vertical is going to prevail? Uh, so it, it is, it is hard, and you sometimes uh, have to a little bit guess. But as much as we could and the time frame that we had, we did calculate it, especially when we were talking about the, the percentages distributed.
2: I mean, that that's a major difference to the venture back startups we invest in as well, is that. When we invest in them, they get an amount denominated in fiat and they can expect at least some stability in in what the price is going to look like over time. I mean, how has the the price volatility um, in Manitza just affected day-to-day operations for you guys?
1: It's a really interesting question, something that I want to cover. Maybe uh, even if some ICOs listen, we do liquidate continuously and regularly every two weeks. At first, we thought that we're going to liquidate 50% to fiat and 50% is going to be kept in crypto in, in Ethereum in this regard. But, you know, the closer we are to the technology, the closer we are to the market, we don't want to risk it. <laughs> we don't want to keep that amount that would break us. We are thinking right now somewhere around 20, uh, 20% uh, keeping in, in Ethereum. Everything rest is just uh, liquidated. And this is some big, big problem for a lot of ICOs. And I wanna probably touch on that a little bit closer since it it, it does give me a headache and a bad rap when people are uh, talking about ICOs and they'll say, oh, an ICO, right? So because they're hearing all these scams and things like that. So there are external scams, Mm -hmm. people who just run away with the money, but there are also internal scams, ICOs who raise the money and they don't have governance over that money. Uh, whether that would be even internally, right? They don't have a board. They don't have, you know, um, they don't have people who are overseeing how the money is being spent. So literally, as cliche as it sounds, and it hurts me to say that, but there are companies, I see companies, who are buying Bentleys and Lambos on company's name. And this, you know, this is one of the reasons why I do speak, you know, with uh, on podcasts and go to the co- conferences, because I want to, you know, champion the mission of a legit ICO. We're treating that money as a VC money (laughs) because all the three co-founders never wanted to get, you know, rich. They wanted to build a big company. And this is the only way to do that. So, you know, our way uh, is not, you know, keeping the crypto or reinvesting the crypto as other ICOs do in in coins. Uh, We want to keep, we, we want to it's really hard to pay developers with crypto. Let me say that. (laughs) So that's why we're uh, liquidating. And it's just, it was fortunate that when we raised our ICO, the Ethereum's price was $385. And right now it's, it's, it's more than 500. Um, At one point of time, we've liquidated a lot when it was over 1000. So we never liquidated when the price was lower than the ICO. This is how we got lucky, but we know that luck sometimes runs out.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know, exploring on that a little bit, typically when companies raise money, they only have maybe 12 to 18 months of money to fund manage, if you will. The, the money isn't necessarily being used for the burn. It's being used as reserves for what will be burned until it's been approved that it will run out. And as a consequence, the likelihood of there being volatility on the utility of that capital is like next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Like Brexit probably put a bump in that for, for some people, but I mean, not by much. Yeah. Know? Whereas crypto, <laughs> the pricing all over the map, if you raised, if you raised in Bitcoin as a, as a sort of, the, the I mean, not that you would have, but let's say you had it in Bitcoin, then you would have lost, you know, over 50% of that yeah. you know, in, in, in the last six months yeah. or so. And that means that if you had raised, let's say 100, you're now left with 50. <laughs> and with 50, you still have the issue of, okay, fine, you've just lost a whole bunch of utility on that money. So if you had a plan around how to use 100, now you're a plan on how to use 50. But subsequent to that, you're now still facing additional volatility on that money. And subsequent to that, you're also not having a return on that money. It's just sitting around, right? Like, whereas most VC funds have their money being used in something. Yes. Whereas now you're not doing anything. with like, There's not interest bearing. It's like inflation. Let's let's presume that it was perfectly locked with, with fiat in, in sort of stride. Fiat loses value with yes. inflation. So the same equivalence happens to, to crypto unless it fluctuates separately, which I know is the case. But... How do you think about that role of the ICO founder being a fund manager?
1: <laughs> I, I don't want to be one since my background is not in that, but we do keep a close eye on it. Uh, we have people who are overseeing that, and you know, I, I have um, uh, friends, founders, and, and, and VCs who are saying, "Oh, you know, we're we're trying to hedge our capital, and sometimes we're losing off, you know, uh, forex uh, or you know, inflation." We're, we're lost it 0.05%. like saying, dude, that would be a dream for me. (laughs) Uh, So we're, we're, what we're doing the best way that we can, we're, we have a hedging strategy and we're liquidating that regularly. As mentioned, it does take time because you don't want to do it at all at once, but we already liquidated more than uh,
0: 35%. And then what do you do with that?
1: Uh, With, uh, with Fiat? Yeah. Hedging strategies. Yeah. So
0: it just sits in an account and you're, once yeah. it's in fiat, what do you do with it? Interest bearing account or?
1: Uh, our bank handles that and we have uh, yeah, we have a plan laid, laid out.
0: Okay. So if, if we look at that and we say, the traditional company fundraise process requires a form of projection on the utility of the cash for the period of the fundraise. When you start getting into these stratospheric numbers, you know, even thirty-seven million, like in the grand scheme of things, isn't as big as the Telegram Correct. one was or these other ones. Correct. It's still meaningful enough that you need to project out quite a few number of years to consume it all. And as we all know, the more you project outwards into the future of time, the more volatile the likelihood of that event happening. How does an ICO company plan cash use? So even if they're ethical about the, the regular downloading of, of cash from crypto to fiat, and then being transparent about that and not spending it on, on silly things, rather spending it for the business. How does somebody plan out the use of cash for that many years in advance to, to merit and, and substantiate a raise of in excess of what typical company will need for the next 24
1: months? And it's not easy because we're in this position where, you know, we're pre-users. Uh, and and it, it, it is a little bit hard to, to calculate that. And you're just following kind of principles of, you know, not hiring too many people right now we have 25 people which is in my opinion already a little bit higher than i would want for for our stage so once we nail down the retention of of the users when we have users uh this is when we're you know we're gonna scale but as of this moment is kind of a power saving mode for us yeah
2: okay yeah i mean it's super interesting just before we get into to the logic of you know how, how the token works within the Manisa ecosystem, etc. I mean, if, if there was anything you would have done differently now when it comes to the ICO, what, what do you think those, those would have been?
1: Um, yeah, being, you know, totally transparent. One thing that I would have changed was to put a personal cap on an investment. So it could have gone as far as, you know, one person contributing the whole $37 million and taking out the crowd sale. So I would have put a cap on that it's just you know at that time we were non not necessarily confident that we're going to raise that much amount of money and we wanted just to you know have all options open for for people for people to contribute that would be that would be one thing because um a lot of the kind of the big whales so so to speak they take, take up your crowd tail and you know it, it you have to diversify your token. Now, now it has diluted to you know as as far as having eleven thousand token holders. But at the beginning, we had just over 2,500 uh, 2, contributors to the ICO, which is not a lot. And you know the funny thing is that with the uh, with the crowd sale that people still sent ether, and actually the sum amount was three times bigger. Than, than, we, than our hard cap, uh, so we could have raised, you know, more than hundred million, but we just put a hard cap there. So one thing that I would have done, yeah, I would have put a personal cap on, 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 on contribution. Everything else, it went quite smoothly. It's just, you know, you cannot control the things that you cannot control. It's like the, uh, the bubble of, uh, of exchanges. And now ICOs know this, that how much it costs to get on the exchange. I don't want to name any particular exchanges, but it fluctuates in like seven figures and more.
0: Really? Just to get listed?
1: <laughs> just to get listed. So essentially, it is, yeah. it, is, it is easier it is easier for you to build your own exchange <laughs> or to get listed on NASDAQ <laughs> costs less. But and that's part of the setup fee
0: then, really?
1: In terms of? Well, you'd
0: have to incorporate. You'd have to pay that. You have to think about that as a setup cost, not as a utility cost.
1: It sucks for a lot of people. We were lucky that we got into big big exchanges before that whole bubble. Mm-hmm. but it, it took us time and uh, there being a lot of them are being very cautious and does take a lot of time. Maybe our communication could have been better in saying that we're not going to be on the exchanges super fast you, you know but the kind of the market changed and, and, and it's way harder to get in exchanges and it started when we uh, got out from the market.
2: To take it back to you know some of the the logic behind the, the token itself, I, I mean I think the reasons we're interested in the token as as a mechanism is is the same as you. It's incentivizing an early community yeah. of adopters, and it's also you know able to incentivize open source technology in some some interesting ways. But it's it's not for everyone, right? And we get founders uh, thinking that maybe you know last uh, throw the dice that a token might be right for them, but it's not right for everyone. Can you walk us through? Yeah, I mean specifically the logic of how, how the Moneta token functions within your, your ecosystem and, and, and why that makes sense and, and yeah. the advice you would, I guess, give to, to founders who are maybe considering going down that route and whether it makes sense for them.
1: Yeah. So since since our product is pivoting and we're looking for the best market to start with, uh, the token's kind of role in the ecosystem also uh, changes. But just to put it in the kind of nutshell, for us, it's the most important thing with the, with the token is to incentivize good behavior and punish a bad behavior. So if you, you know, right now we have our beta product in uh, both iOS and uh, for both iOS and Android. When you download it, when you go through the KYC procedure, we automatically give you an amount of tokens to you, which you can later, you know, unlock. But if you are, uh, you know, you receive a bad rating, we take that away. If you receive a good rating, we give you more tokens. So essentially, we're paying people for doing good. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is kind of a nutshell thing, uh, kind of mechanism or, or, or an idea behind how the token works, really incentivizing good behavior. Mm-hmm. We want to be, by default, if a merchant uses Manitha, People just would have that initial trust in that they would would not necessarily need to go into their transactional history and also how many tokens you have it's public and people can see you know how many points uh, did you receive so it's just it's those are not you know just only vanity points it's it's real uh, token which you can after exchange in the in the uh, in the exchanges
0: and yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you price that penalty
1: or that premium like. I guess I'm trying
0: to understand how the how the economy evolves. Is it is it like um, a fixed amount of premium for good behavior and a fixed amount of penalty for bad behavior? And, and yeah, how, and how does that? And who's who's the person that grants that? And how does that? Flow? We do.
1: We 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 do set up the rules. Uh, how many tokens we distribute to for a good behavior and bad behavior? How that circles back. For you getting cash back or uh, a discount uh, when you're paying through Manita for goods or or services, so this is uh, this is the way we are. We're the one who's uh, in that regard. In that regard, we are centralized. <laughs> but when, when it comes to the when it comes to the kind of advice that I would give, um, I said this before, but I I love a quote about John F. Kennedy saying, you know. Uh, ask not what you can uh, not what your country can do for you but what can you do for your country and this is the same with the tokens or blockchain uh, the founders really have to ask whether i need blockchain or blockchain needs me needs my idea because in a lot of the cases and that's because of the greed and the need of raising as much capital as possible it's it's essentially people are trying to have a solution that's looking for a problem And that has been both on macro and micro levels uh, when it comes to blockchain. So my advice would be just really kind of understand whether you need that token or you don't because that works both on the kind of the ecosystem level on your product, but also on the regulatory. We were lucky, we have laid out this plan very well. So we got a legal opinion from KPMG that we're a utility token a lot of a lot of these um, ICOs might not
0: yeah they might not be I'm conscious that if I ask you this question and the answer is no it'll embarrass you so I'm going to abstract it and ask it in a different way assuming that you've invested in other people's ICOs uh-huh. and that assuming that you put money into them in a way that you had to evaluate them what based upon your experience raising an ICO would you look for as signs of
1: whether or not this is good or bad. It's easy. If I would invest in ICOs and I don't. Okay. <laughs> Never have. You I get w- high if
2: you're in supply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Karen. laughs> I would, I
1: would, I would not look necessarily at, uh, at the white paper because that's, that's a promise. That's an idea. That's, that, that's a script. I would not necessarily look at how flashy the website is and how many telegram users you have. That's easily Mm fakeable. I would look at something that venture capitalists do. They look at the human capital, (laughs) they look at the team, they look at, you know, who are the founders, who's the team behind it. And we had no problems of, and actually this was also one of the keys to success to our crowd sale is that we were super transparent about who we are we implemented video broadly a lot of them who contributed to the ico they said i felt by the end of the crowd sale i felt like i know you <laughs> because we've been on video so much and i put my personal number in into contacts you know and i got people calling and they were like just is that you like yeah let's speak let's talk about monita so being being both showing that transparency, showing the care in the community uh, and the things that you have done before. And if you have the competence to do what you promised, uh, that's the, the thing that you would check.
2: You made a great point there, which is that, that the human capital is like the most important ingredient and it's certainly what we look for in the companies we invest in. When it comes to... That for for Minitha as a business itself. I mean, how have you managed that incentivization? You know that traditionally startups incentivize their employees because they're here for the rocket ship. But you can see a route to there's a route to early liquidity with being incentivized through tokens, and you know maybe that people no longer have that same sort of drive to to carry on doing stellar work. I mean, can can you walk us through through some of the incentivization stuff that you guys do?
1: Yeah, we talked about this with Carlos in in in, 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 in New Orleans. (laughs) And we've, uh, we've taken a gamble. We said that we're going to incentivize our, uh, our team members with the token. As of this moment, I don't see a lot of thing- Well, yeah, I-, I don't see a big problem with people checking the price of the token. Uh, the head of, of uh, customer support, Yuste, she, uh, she has um, uh, CoinMarketCap bookmarked on her browser. That's the only thing that I saw. <laughs> other, other than that... Uh, people don't check the, the kind of the fluctuations of, of the token and has been fluctuating a lot somehow it's just you know the, the same thing that drives a traditional startup uh, I think and, and I think on a macro level it, it's also the ICOs are merging to like becoming more natural you, you, you see more reverse so called reverse ICOs companies who already have some sort of traction or growth that are doing an ICO so it doesn't really change you know people are being driven by the mission people are being driven by the culture people are being driven by other people that surround them and if they're alike if they're sh- if they share the same the same vision as cliche as it sounds mm-hmm. but but it's still the main thing and when it comes to the token it's uh, it's a game as mentioned we, we've gambled i don't know how mo- if people when there's a cliff and it vests uh more uh if they will check the token price more often we've taken the gamble but uh, we'll see We'll do another one in, in, in two years <laughs> and I'll tell you how that how that went. <laughs>
0: well, I'm, I'm conscious that, you know, we've we've taken up a lot of your time. This has been an amazing conversation. I feel like it could go on forever, but, and maybe we do. Maybe we do a, a follow-up. Or, no way. We have passed one hour? Uh, uh, yeah. We, yeah. We're, we're nearing one hour. Wow. Um, so <laughs> time flies. But, you know, we always like to sort of end on, on sort of a couple of fun questions and you know, we've covered a lot of ground and clearly you've accomplished quite a bit um, in this short time because it is a very short time. It is.
1: And so, not in the
0: crypto space.
1: Not in the crypto space. Yeah, in the crypto space has been like a decade
0: now. But, but maybe we can, we can ask you a couple of questions about maybe things that you have realized about yourself as part of this whole process. Like, what, If you could have one superpower that could have helped you more in, in the
1: last you know, X number of years of your life, what superpower <laughs> would it be and why? Actually, the, uh, a lot of the people probably say, "Oh, I never thought about that," but I thought about that. Oh, really? Okay, well, <laughs> okay. And that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm battling with, and I'm, and I'm thinking whether I would want that. That that would be like a blessing, this disguise. Yeah. I would like to read minds, and I yeah. think that would be something that would be super cool. At sometimes, and would be really bad. At sometimes,
0: <laughs> you'd, you'd want to be able to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's it's. I thought about that one too, and it's like. If, it, if it's like eyesight where you can kind of close your eyes it would be useful but if it were like hearing where like you can't you really always have to, yeah. voluntarily shut it off yeah, that'd be horrible <laughs> Exactly Yeah fair enough fair enough. and if you could do it over digital medium that would be
1: even better <laughs> right? Now
0: if you if you look at the, the way that
1: le, so, le, Let me just input yeah. a funny story Yesterday I was uh, at the founders forum and uh, what I did uh, I, I saw the, the um, Shazam's uh, CEO Rich and I came into him and I just pressed uh, like a button his shoulder uh, and started started humming a song. Uh, so I asked if he has a superpower of of uh, just naming the song. And, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> what did you say? Did he look at you funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it, he started laughing. He was a good combo. <laughs> That's good. Well, there's
0: a way. I, I gotta try that. <laughs> um, Now, if you look at how much things have have happened over the last just year and a half, -hmm. like the rise, the fall, Bitcoin being in in, in ATMs and other things, it's amazing to think that even three, four years ago, science fiction didn't even conceptualize the idea of, of cryptocurrencies. One of the questions I like to ask people is whether or not there's anything that comes to mind, similar to slavery, where... We look back now and think, how did that ever happen? <laughs> how did, how did, how, how were we so wrong with that? And yet that was common. What do you think t- 20 years from now is happening today? It can be across anything. It doesn't have to be. Okay. Come out across anything that you're like, wow, well, we, we will look back and be like, how could we have been doing it that way? Or, or how can we have let that happen? Or why did we allow this to, to work that way?
1: I think that, you know, all the kind of the social and political things apart. I think that going back into blockchain, this is something that we're going to be looking at just because it's so over the top. We're going to remember that as, you know, probably a mullet of a haircut. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) uh, it it will be one of two ways. It's either going to be. OMG! Why did nobody buy Bitcoin? How, were these stupid not to buy shitloads of Bitcoin at that time? Or like, do you remember that Ethereum guy, like Vitalik, or what? Vitalium? What was his name? Like, it's either gonna be one or two, just because it's so over the top, people are gonna remember it as something of what you know, super unproportionate. So, and I don't have an answer to that. I don't have an answer where the crypto market is gonna go. And if somebody says that they do, they're a charlatan, they're a a scammer. And you know, it's so funny where, you know, people are having all these projections of Bitcoin price is gonna be $200,000 in 2020. Sorry, Tim Draper. <laughs> uh, but he, And he's saying that while wearing a Bitcoin tie. Yeah. So that, ha, that, that, that is a vested interest. Yeah. And the people who don't have Bitcoin, he's saying the otherwise. Yeah. And who's going to win? Who knows? Nobody knows.
0: Well, I, I always like to sort of impart a little encouragement on, on how successful you will be. So maybe the, the, the geeky way of doing it is to say, you know, I wish you a future where there's a Monita classic and when you the cash and any other forks, because it's so popular that it's required forking many times over.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But yeah, that uh, at least it would be a big exposure. And with that, thanks for joining us, Justice. As- Thank you so much. It was fun.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. And leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.